Welcome everybody to the front porch. I'm here today again with Dennis. What's up, Dennis? Hey, man. How you doing today? Pretty good. So we got a guest today, our very first one, the esteemed Fox from Geek Scholars. Welcome, Fox. How you doing, buddy? It is an absolute pleasure to be here, gentlemen. It's uh, always fun to talk to you guys about all things geek-related. So Fox runs one of the internet's most popular, um, is it podcast, what we just call it a podcast, or just website, <laughs> movie reviews, news. Uh, it's Geek Scholars Movie News, and uh, if you have not been there, you need to go there, www.geekscholars.com. Uh, not only just movies, this guy's got everything about everything in there, a podcast, and it's worth doing. So Fox, how did you get yes, into sir. this whole like podcasting thing? You know, it's a great story. So uh, I was traveling to Austin, Texas, and it was in, when podcasts were first coming out. And basically, uh, I was asking friends, you know, do you know any podcasts about movies? And they, they said, oh, there's this one and that one. And essentially, uh, I listened to a few of them, and they were all podcasts that were reviewing movies, and the reviews were longer than the film. Um, and right. it was just, it was so hard to listen to all these. And what I really wanted was something that told me about what was happening in the news industry, what new directors had been signed, what actors had taking what roles, what project was Steven Spielberg going to do next? And I was yearning for something like that. And eventually I w it was late in the morning. It was actually 2 a.m. And I was still thinking about this. Then I called up one of my buddies who is Geek Scholar Chris. I literally called him at 2 a.m. in the morning. He's like, why are you waking me up? And I was like, hey, hey, you want to do a podcast? And he was like, gosh, Fox, sure, go to bed. And I think, you know, <laughs> I'm known I'm known among my friends to have harebrained schemes, to always come up with something big and new. And, and but uh, this one resonated with me. And so uh, he... Uh, He's a smart dude. He's on the podcast. Uh, my wife is on the podcast. And um, they both love movies. And, you know, they sort of – they said, well, if you want to try to set this up and run with it, we'll, we'll, we'll embrace your little fantasy for a little while. Nice. Um, but that was that was five and a half years ago now. And so we, uh, we've been growing ever, ever so slowly. And basically what we are is essentially a short news show. So instead of – you know, reviewing movies, which we do from time to time, we talk about these headlines just the same way you guys do, as if we were on our front porch. Um, and our goal with the show is to get other people excited about film and to think about movies in a way that they might not going in to see those movies. Our goal is to educate people to the point where they can make the decision, oh, yeah, that's something I want to check out, or oh, no, that might not be for me. So that's what we ultimately are trying to get across and hopefully making people laugh along the way. I think uh, something I really enjoy about it is that the, it's kind of at a nice clip. It's got a good pacing to it. And I get like everything I want to know really quickly. But it's kind of like friends. You know what I mean? Like you hang out with friends <laughs> still while listening to it in a very quick paced manner. So that's something I really appreciate. Have, did you find yourself uh, watching more movies than you did before now that you have an actual thing that you do with it? You know, absolutely, because you have to feel like you have to be on top of everything. You have to be educated because I think one of the best ways to talk about film is to contextualize it, to compare it to other things that people have seen so they can get a sense whether or not the new projects coming out are things they're going to like. So we often try to reference, you know, oh, if you've seen this or you like this person's work, then you'll probably like this or it borrows – this thematic element from this screenwriter, et cetera. So I got to say my, my day job is, is downtown in DC and I am blessed and cursed with a long Metro ride each way. And so what I find myself doing is constantly loading up my computer uh, with digital films to watch back and forth on the Metro. So I get through nice. several hundreds of movies a, a year. Although it is funny because, you know, 
inevitably you watch that one or two uh, films on the Metro that you are embarrassed to be watching next to somebody else. Like oh, yeah. I started watching John Wick two, and the blood is splattering all over the screen, and oh. I, you know, I have to tone down the volume because you can hear the f bombs through my headphones. I mean, um, so that's a, that's a <laughs> challenge. But for the most part, yeah, I feel like you know it's important to watch everything, the bad and the good, um, so you can hopefully sound like you're speaking intelligently about the film industry man shout out to john wick too we're just john wick that's one of those movies that took me by surprise and like that one um but (laughs) so so do you how about like uh i know before this it sounds like it was something like a a passion kind of hobby type thing i've always wondered if so you know people who get into the the business of the movie industry or comics or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. you get into the thing that's your passion do you find yourself like, oh, I really don't want to watch X, Y, or Z, but I got to do it, where you wouldn't before? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, you kind of have to. And, you know, I hate to use the cliche, it comes with the territory. But, I, for example, and I am gonna I get hate mail about this all the time, the Transformers films. They they wear right. me out, man. They, right. They're things that I find are hard to sit through. I, my brain hurts when I've gotten to the end of it. But, <laughs> you know, they make billions and billions of dollars. So I have to be able – I can't just say, oh, they're bad. I have right. to – I can't, you know, just write them off. I have to see them and then say they're bad, you know. So, so I do. I, those are the kinds of things that you see. And you know, every now and again, um, I'm forced to watch a film in a genre that I'm not particularly into. I will say I'm not the biggest horror fan, but yeah. it is out, and it just made, you know. It made tons of money. It broke tons of records, which I'm really excited for because we've not had that in the horror genre for quite some time. So I probably would never seek out it by itself, but now it's part of our cultural conversation. So yeah, I'm going to have to go see that, but I look forward to it. So, you know, it's sort of a fun thing to play with that everyone knows on the show for each of the Geek Scholars. We have certain franchises we don't love or certain talent we don't love, but that makes it a little even more fun. So, you know, it's sort of like you do it with a fake frown as it so, were. So, so you, you don't ever get tempted to like, Hey Chris, uh, you go see this one. Cause you know, it sucks. And then like, he sees all transformers <laughs> and that's the way to do it. You know, sometimes we do dare each other to see those things. Um, it does happen that way. But again, like if you if you're not up on what you know what's out, it's hard to be a part of the conversation. And I think that's what we really want to be is a part of the conversation. And, and no one will take you seriously unless you're educated enough. You you know you can't just sort of throw out or dismiss things without um, giving everything a chance. Right. Hey, uh, so something I was wanting to talk about while we got you here is. So there's this deal with the Joker going out mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. Um, how DC is – well, my personal opinion is that DC – Warner Brothers, I should say, doesn't have their shit together with what they're doing. I've never felt that way ever except for maybe the Chris Nolan Batman movies. But um, So now their Batmania just continues to drive on everything in the world <laughs> and I think – Personally, the success of Harley Quinn, that part of Suicide Squad, got everybody excited. So the powers that be just glom on to, oh, Joker. Here's the Joker. Right. So they, they want to do like 15 different kinds of Joker movies and spin off from Joker movies. And these are the mm-hmm. things that are out there. Is the Joker that big a deal? Like, okay, let's just stick with sit like from the cinema at this point. We've got like two Jokers. Is, is it that You're big free. a thing? Four, technically. Oh, well, yeah, four. Yeah, technically, you go back to Cesar Romero, that's number right. one. Number two would be Jack Nicholson. Number three would be Heath Ledger. Now, number four would be Jared Leto. Right, right, right. My bad. So, no, no, no. Go ahead. He does, 
I just don't, I guess I don't get it. There's always that, like, uh, why does Superman have to have Lex Luthor? Why does it always have to be this? And then now we're going to give them their own movies. What seems to be a very, okay, you're not one without, you can't have Joker without Batman. Right. Well, I mean, it's an odd thing to do. And I will say it's weird that we live in a day and age where there are more movies in development that focus on Harley Quinn and the Joker than there are Batman and Superman. So let's just put that aside for a second, which I think is very strange. You know, I think think Joker's always been intriguing because he's been mysterious. But I think you go too far the other way in that – um, you lose something when you make all these different movies about the Joker because you're stripping away that mystery. So I think everyone is attracted to the Joker because he's an agent of chaos, As and I think Heath Ledger is the best portrayal of the Joker we've seen so far because he embraced that mysterious, chaotic side. I do worry a little bit about all these incarnations um, because I think you're stripping away the mystique. Now, that said... I have a theory that it's possible that maybe what they're going to do is this idea of the non-unified theory where multiple people have been the Joker over time. That it is a moniker that is passed on from person to person. And my sort of evidence to support this theory is that once it was revealed that Martin Scorsese was going to produce the young Joker film, which will be directed by uh, Todd Phillips, the man who brought us The Hangover, they immediately went after Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, we know this film is going to be set in the 80s, so everyone instantly assumed that that would make it be a younger Jared Leto. But if you go after Leonardo DiCaprio, who is older Older. than Jared Leto, then what is the strategy behind that leading some credence to my theory? So let me ask you you guys how would you feel about that you know seeing a movie set in the 1980s where we had a different person playing a different version of the joker is that something that would intrigue you well i'll answer your question with another question are we are we not done with the 80s nostalgia (laughs) no no it's only going to get worse especially (laughs) when steven spielberg puts out ready player one next year which is a huge love letter to the 80s and will if anything, re-inject, you know, a shot of nitroglycerin into that nostalgic fever. But 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 keep going. I'll be curious to know. Let's say it's a foregone conclusion. We're going to get this film. You know, how do you feel about the different iterations of this character existing? Well, it reminds me a little bit, and we, we talked at length about Star Trek and Star Wars last week, but the rebooted Star Trek films used, or you might say exploited, time travel to... As as I accused it at the time, though I loved the first uh, Star Trek reboot movie, as as a way for them to, you know, recuse themselves from the canon, like oh it's time travel, everything's everything's different, it's alternate universe. But the nice thing about that is that it opens up the world for storytelling. You know, when you're not bound by the old you know stories you can do whatever you want that's sort of a mixed blessing because you know if a director can do anything they want they might do something bad oh but, you're going to poke the bear here dennis i got some stuff to say about that so what was that comic books oh my god so with 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 that same topic you're talking about like having the be able to oh the the writers can do whatever they want to do and it's you know you're stifling creativity because of continuity um I'm, I've been, I think most of our listeners know that I've been a long, long, long time comic book reader. And the, these days, it seems like the editors or editors in chief of the, the major magazines 
feel that you can just throw out continuity and it inspires creativity. Oh, let's not make Superman a Boy Scout. Let's make him like emo. Let's make Batman a murderer or, <laughs> and, and that's what a lot of these, I think some of these movies are even doing when they talk like the DC murder verse or, you know, how they're, Oh, just let them write, just let them write, which is fine to an extent like the Marvel movies, they they do stick with. I think they still stick with some continuities. They stick with the core of the characters, and they they change some things, but they really stick with it. And they're not going to go back and say, "Okay, just you know, forget that Thor two happened. Just forget it." No, they'll they're still like with it. I don't think that you can just say, oh, "Let's just uh, go back in time and ditch off stuff," and you know, let's just start all over again. That may work for Star Trek. I guess it's still to be seen, even through three movies in. Well, but... I mean, even you go back to, um, again, our conversation about Star Trek. There were many things about the first film that I really liked, no matter how much of a departure they were from the original. Um, the relationship between Spock and Uhura is entertaining, even if it is annoying. But it's a it's a different aspect of his character that we rarely saw from the late Leonard Nimoy. But also, it, I think, to your point, Dennis, it still felt like it was Spock. It was just Spock in a different place in his life or with a different person. It didn't feel like it yeah, betrayed the core qualities of the character. It's like so many things. You have to have a balance to it. Um, there were many things about Into Darkness that I didn't like because they were such a departure from the original while still trying to play extreme fan service to the originals. That was where, you know, that that kind of freedom sort of went awry. Yeah, I uh, man, we're going, you're getting us back on Star Trek again. I actually want to take a little bit of step back because um, Fox triggered me a little bit with Ready Player One. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely want to. I definitely want to finish uh, the the Joker thing in that topic, but come back to superheroes, but I want to interject here a little spot. Um, Please. Ready Player One is, I really liked that book. It, I, it seems to have uh, in the world of the interwebs has this uh, polarizing kind of opinions where people like hate it because whatever reasons, or they really love it for whatever reasons. I'm in the camp of loving it. Um, it's just one of those easy to read surprise things that I could, I picked up and, was, and finished it in like a couple days and I'm not a fast reader. Um, so it was, all nostalgic, as you said. It's all about dumping that 80s nostalgia on you. But um, as someone who lived through that time, and that was something really big for, for me, and everything that was mentioned was like, oh, yeah, yeah, and how it all works and how I would live in that world. It's really awesome, and it really pumps the nostalgia. But the trailer, our our buddy our buddy Trotsky, he and I were talking about how we love that nostalgia of the book and how it is so important to it. But the trailer seems to read so much into this is for fourteen year olds, and this is just all the the scenes where there it's it's in the book it's calm or quiet and it's supposed to be a, a very cerebral type thing. They they showed it in the trailer as this action packed battle with explosions everywhere. And you're like ah. Oh. I wonder if they're just going to like miss the nostalgia, like Stranger Things grabbed onto and Ready Player One grabbed it, it, the book grabbed onto. I just don't, I'm really hoping that they don't drop that ball. 
So if I may interject a little bit there, you have to think about the context of where the trailer was released. This trailer was given out um, or debuted at Comic-Con, right? So you can probably imagine that the high percentage of the people in the audience had read the book. And if you watch this trailer and you've never read the book, I defy you to tell me what the plot is. And I think that's a little purposeful. So I I think that what they were trying to get across with this trailer is, hey, look, we got over the biggest hurdle we thought we were going to have to get over, which is how do you assemble all these IPs that were referenced in the book into this one film? Because, you know, back in the day, Steven Spielberg was one of the executive producers on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that was revolutionary because of the fact you got the Disney characters in a film with the Warner Brothers characters. There are scenes with Daffy and Donald Duck. There's Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse, which is harder today than it was then in 1988. And so everyone's been wondering, well, the book is wonderful because it leans on all these iconic characters. How do you negotiate the rights to all those different things? Well, the answer is Spielberg, and he calls in every favor he's got. And I think the trailer was meant to prove that we're going to be able to hit that aspect of the book in the movie, which I think was a big concern from a lot of people. You can't just swap in and out certain characters or certain uh, memorable vehicles or uh, iconic lines or references because then you lose the magic of the book. So I got the sense that you know the trailer was just trying to prove to you that they're doing that and they were able to achieve that because I agree with you. Mike, and I, I, I would look curious to hear your thoughts, Tess, but, you know, I agree that the trailer was kind of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, um, and didn't really give you much of the nuances of the struggles that Wade Wilson goes through, the character arc he has, the mystery, the adventure, which I think is the soul of the book. I'm not ready to, to dismiss it yet because I think we got a fan fanfic trailer. I think that's what Steven Spielberg put out for a very specific audience, not a general mainstream audience. I am hoping that that it's actually that that's the root thing. I mean, that's that's a good positive thing that it gives me a little bit of hope. Thinking it from that aspect is that you've got okay, so it's for that group, and we want to get those things. I worry a bit that what makes me worry is that it's the Transformers thing. It's like okay, we're just going to make it like that. Now I will put this in again. Our buddy Trotsky was talking. He said that you know, with all the nostalgia coming out with. Um, I guess there was um, Super 8 was an example of this and Absolutely. Um, uh, Stranger Things. That Spielberg being involved here and you know bringing back the E.T. kind of feeling to it, that he would have <laughs> that. He would have that feeling of, okay, we can bring this in. And that's, that's our hope is that Spielberg being attached to this does get that heart and soul. And that's still the hope for that. It's, I guess this, that trailer just would, was really uh, worrisome, I guess. I don't want to say worrisome. I don't worry about it, but... But here's what's interesting. If you had been in Hall H at San Diego Comic-Con, the vibe would have been so different. And that was what they were really going for is this idea. Like you have to imagine that people were screaming and yelling and jumping out of their chairs for a pure shot of adrenaline being in a room with Spielberg presenting a sequence where the DeLorean is, you know, zooming around a uh, fountain and then in a race with the A-Team van. So, you know, it's all about where you were when you watched that film. Dennis, did you read the book? Uh, Just recently. And what were your thoughts on the book as a piece of literature or a piece of entertainment? It's an interesting, uh, there's, I've had a couple thoughts as you guys are talking. There's, we could probably do an entire topic on adaptations, whether film or television. And 
I I think the argument could be made that there's no such thing as a satisfying book to film adaptation, at least not that I've experienced. So call that anecdotal if you like. But there's an interesting, uh, you might call it a dichotomy in the book between this nostalgia that the protagonist didn't live through, right? He's much too young to have experienced any of the 80s. So it's clearly the author, at least this is how I saw it, the author and the intended audience banking on all of that nostalgia. And so you have that aspect of it, and then you have this sort of, without being too critical, this very young adult love story that sort of interwoven through the story. So I can see how that would be difficult to... Um, it makes it difficult when you're creating an adaptation as to like how much of which you focus on. And depending on which way you go, whether which markets you hit and how hard. Hey, we're we're bouncing around everywhere here, but so I'm going to bounce us back just a little bit more. Um, Dennis, I know you're not like a huge, like a Fox level uh, movie person, but you've se- have you s- you've seen all the Batman's up to recent, haven't you? Like the say the Michael Keaton to now. Is that yeah. a correct assumption? I mean the so, the original ones probably just like once they were just slightly before my time. I probably it, saw Batman vs or Batman and Robin in theater and then immediately blocked it out. <laughs> you should. Very That's well. very good of you. Yes. So there's a couple of things with since we're going to focus here on Batman just a little bit. Oh God, I can't believe I'm talking about Batman so much. I'm not a Batman fan. Um, and we just lost like ten percent of our viewers. Um, the there's campy Batman. There's Dark Knight, and then there's like the um, Tim Burton, the campy slash Dark Knight type stuff. Um, is I want to tie this into Fox's question about or comment about existing in multiple forms. Can there be different Batmans? Can we can do we have to just stay with the Christopher Nolan because it made the most money, or can we put out different Batman movies where there's the the fun, lighthearted has a has a Robin, and then make another movie with it's the Dark Knight. Or do we have to like whatever makes money? I mean, at this point, I feel like we're approaching critical mass on Batman movies. Um, I was going to say earlier when you were listing the Jokers that nobody mentioned Zach Alfnakis. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, I mean, there, obviously there's space there for you to do the campy Batman. Not not really campy, but like the comedy Batman, because Batman's not comedy usually. Um, what I do think we, we definitely don't need is a rehash of the same kind of Batman with the origin story again for a new actor and a new cinematic universe. Yeah, that was a, that was a dig on Batman versus Superman. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'd agree. Man, I wish, I wish someone would finally tell me what happened to Batman's parents. I really wish they would show that in a film. Martha! Martha. Why is Batman? 
I'm so confused. I'm so confused. I really it's same thing with Spider Man. How do you get his powers? Um, no, I'm in, I'm inclined to agree, and I actually to answer your question directly, I'm like I think there is room in the cinematic world for multiple Batmans. I think Dennis just hit hit the nail on the head by referencing Lego Batman, which was a huge success, and it's not like anyone went into this and said, wait. Why isn't Ben Affleck voicing the main character? He's the only right, Batman. Right. I mean, no one says true. that. And I and and there are multiple animated you know versions of Batman on right now. There was a time where we had Batman Beyond and Batman the Animated Series and the Batman and Batman and the Bold, and they all took a different slant on the iconic character. And nobody was really angry that there were multiple versions. They all found the version they resonated with, and that's kind of an interesting thing about Batman is that he's probably been portrayed across a spectrum of comedic and goofy to dark and brooding more than any other character that I can think of. You mentioned Superman. I would agree he's gone through a little bit of a change over time as well. But Batman is somebody who you put Adam West next to George Clooney, next to Bale. I mean, they couldn't be more disparate. So so to answer your question, yeah, I would actually welcome uh, multiple Batman movies um, that all take a different take on the character and play around with the universe. Because the thing that I think is not exploited enough about Batman is the he's got the best rogues gallery. Can we all agree on that? He's got the best villains. Does uh, anyone disagree? I don't know about that. Really? I, I agree Name for a character sure. Mike, Mike's a, a hater, I guess. What's that? I, I said Mike's a hater, I guess. Yeah. Really? I agree for sure. I don't know. I, I like the, I kind of I'm still like the Flash. I like his rogues gallery and Spider-Man's got some fun things, but Spider-Man's got all animals. I mean, that's all yeah, Spider-Man has. It's the vulture, the rhino, the green yeah. goblin, which is basically a lizard. Oh, right. And and then the lizard, <laughs> black cat. I mean, I can go on and on. They're all they're all animals, man. They are all animals. Yes. You know, it's amazing how many people don't actually recognize that. No, it, it really you don't realize that it's all animals with that guy. It's but, angry but I, Zootopia. That's all it is. It is. <laughs> nice, well, nice. There are a lot of Batman's villains are animals too. Yeah, but he he's got a broader spectrum. I mean, where else can you find Catwoman and Calendar Man? Right. I, I will give you that. He he's got things from Clayface, um, you know, Harvey Dent. There, there's they're all different kind of characters, and I and I will say that. But I guess it just depends on on what you like in your villain, you know. Uh, so yeah, I guess that that makes sense. I, I guess I, I was always like, oh no, I think there needs we need to come together with one kind of Batman. But I think that's a very good point. There have been always different kinds of characters uh, and I've never had problems with that before through different media. And it makes sense. And the Lego Batman movie is a perfect example of that. Uh, here, I got, I really want to know something from both of you and we'll start with Dennis. Um, I'd say movie snobs have this thing about, um, he means originality. Me. <laughs> originality. Oh no, I, I actually don't think that you'll think this way, but I'm really just uh, kidding. Right. The, uh, the, I think that movie snobs are like, oh, why does it always have to be retreads and rebuilding and redoing and, and it's Batman this and Batman that. And can't we just have new original ideas, which we'll talk about an original one here next. But uh, is that bad? Is it like I know we had a talk last week or two about, you know, people want to see more in a universe. But um, should we just say, OK, one's enough or OK, we did three and that's good. Now we're doing nine Star Warses and or is that just what the people want? What's your opinion on if that's good or bad? 
at the, at the risk of uh well i'm just gonna repeat the thing i said earlier it's it's about balance i mean if you see um you know if you see something if you watch something you enjoy an experience of characters in a world and a story you want to go back to that and you want to experience that again um but there's a limit on it we don't need three movies to tell the story of the hobbit but oh, right, lord yes. of the rings was a masterpiece right you know no no i don't think anybody was saying peter jackson should have you know done the lord of the rings in just one movie true except the hobbit the other way right right exactly um i think the the accusation of originality I think probably stems from just the the sheer quantity of mediocre sequels and and remakes that we've had for the last what decade, two decades? Oh, at least, at least. I mean, they were remaking um, things and, in the 80s and, and, 90s. and so I can see the, I can see you know both sides of that argument. It it just depends on it depends on how it's executed, and um. You know, I think I think there are both and I think you can do you can do both. I mean, the I've seen um, just the first two seasons of the TV series Fargo, which is thematically very similar to the movie. And so the accusation could be made that it's just a remake, but it's a completely different. um, Different experience to watch that sort of storytelling method that the Coen brothers used in the original film in a long form, you know, whatever, like 10 hour TV season. Uh, Fox, what do you think in a, in a future perfect cinematic world, Mm -hmm. do do we have uh, every movie is original and its own and stands on it. And you just go watch a whole new experience every time you go. What genres can still be there, but you've got different things every movie or is a good cinematic future existing worlds that continuously go like the Marvel movies where Captain America is still the same guy throughout (laughs) ever. And it's iterated. What's your perfect world? Yeah. I think my perfect world is a little bit of both because I think there's fun in each. And I think it's, it's very hard nowadays because even the things that we call original, I mean, if you dig deep enough, we've been telling fairy tales for as long as, you know, human existence has been around on the planet. And you can almost always scrape something down to its bare bones and say, well, this reminds me of a tale from the Bible or it reminds me of some ancient text. So the idea of originality, I think, sometimes gets lost or that definition gets used in a way that's not entirely accurate because – We've always been storytellers as a people, and that's a little bit meta for this conversation. But to get back to your actual question, I think I I like both. I mean, I love the fact that I know everything that's happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I will get the Easter eggs that are laid out before me when I see Guardians of the Galaxy 2 referencing something that happened in Iron Man 3. I mean, I I will appreciate those things, but at the same time, like, I just went and saw a movie called Mother by Darren Aronofsky, who basically made a film that is essentially a metaphor for the creative process that artists go through and the suffering they must endure when their art is being... Is eventually um, right is eventually recognized, 
And and so, you know, I would label that as original. I wouldn't label it as good personally, but I appreciate the fact that I can go see both in my Cineplex. And so, you know, I think the name of the game going forward is diversity. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, that can mean a lot of different things. I'm not, I'm not feeling overwhelmed by the number of sequels or remakes or reboots quite yet because enough of them fail, um, which, which, which is fine. Like, so I'll tell you one of my favorite movies of all time was Ghostbusters and it still is Ghostbusters. I'm recording in a studio that is adorned with Ghostbusters memorabilia. And a lot of people ask me about like, you know, the, the remake that came out last year and it was one of my most anticipated movies of the year, not because I thought it was going to be good because I had a distinct curiosity of how that was going to be. It flopped. It will not make a sequel, but you know, I think I think that nostalgia is a powerful tool. I think that world building is a powerful tool. And I think individuality is a powerful tool. And there's room in the world for everything because we have so many media channels these days. So that's that maybe a, a little bit of a longer-winded answer than you were expecting. But that's my general take on it. No, I, I, I think I agree. I think that it, it is – there's a nice balance to have uh, – People say that, oh, we can't we have original stuff? I would point to so many different things that we do have a new and original things and ideas and they're and they're well. And the best way to that if you're one of those people that talks about how um oh we, we don't need you know nine Star Wars again or we don't need more Star Treks again is to vote with your money. I mean go to this go to the theater and watch the ones that you think are new and exciting and pay attention to things like Geek Scholars and and listen to those new things and say, okay, I'm going to go pay because the studios that keep, will keep making the things that you don't think you don't think are good because they're making money at it. Um, so what you should do is go see split and go see glass and go, and go look up unbreakable, which kind of brings us to the next topic. That is an original idea. I didn't even, for those that aren't aware, uh, unbreakable was a movie. Do you know when that was made? Nineties? I think it was in the nineties. Yeah, it came out in uh, – so this comes to us from director M. Night Shyamalan who put out The Sixth Sense back in 1999. His follow-up film came out in 2001 named Unbreakable starring Bruce Willis and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Which I think is also one of those underrated – well, I guess it's highly rated, but one of those think gems that if you haven't seen it and you would not expect it to be a superhero movie and it is and you're like, wow, this is this is really great. Well, they came out with another movie just last year called Split, and I have not seen it because I did not. I just thought it was like a scary horror movie, and that's just generally not my thing. But now, evidently, it lives within the same universe as Unbreakable, and they're going to make a sequel to Unbreakable that has the guy from Split in it. So it's this really neat idea where you have original ideas and thoughts and storylines and characters and i would encourage everybody that if if that's your, not saying that these movies are good or the bag but if you want something new and different then go pay for it go watch it give them your money so you've not seen split then mike i have not okay but you are now because you know it, it connects to the greater universe yes and that's actually a really good point there is that I, I would have totally passed that up but because they have this connection now i have to go pay them money not have to but i'm going to well, that's an interesting fact because I will tell you, I mean, I don't know how much you know this, but I mean, the the connection to the Unbreakable Universe is a huge 
I mean, spoiler, uh, because it happens within the final seconds of the film. Um, it's not set up that way all throughout. So uh, hopefully no one watching or listening to this episode uh, didn't already know that. I think it's pretty well well known knowledge at this point. But it's interesting that they didn't put the movie out with that uh, marketing slant as it were you know what i mean they really tried to make the movie stand on its own legs and i think it did for the most part it is a very well constructed movie and i would say it's a return to form for Shyamalan. um did you see it dennis did this this come up on your radar um i mean i heard of it but like mike i didn't know that it was uh connected to unbreakable and unbreakable is another one that i i was aware of but it just slipped past me uh, if you come into town again, I'll let you borrow it. It is it is well worth it. To, I don't even know. It might be on Netflix, but I'm not sure. If it is, you need to look that up. Just interesting. Not that, that like, it's the shining star of all superhero movies, but it was just one of those that, whoa, that I did not expect this and X, Y, or Z, and it just came out of there. So, Mike, why? So, I think I don't disagree with anything you've just said, but for those who have never seen Unbreakable, pitch it. Like, how, What would you say is special about it? Okay, what is man almost pitching it is it's kind of like pitching Sixth Sense. You can't really do it without spoiling it. Um, <laughs> it it's it's just because I didn't expect it. A lot of a lot of my favorite movies, I think, when I watch them, um, especially even superhero movies, which are my favorite genre, um, it's the, that they that they you don't expect them. You can watch trailers. You can the best ones. You can watch all the trailers and then go and you're like, holy cow! They did. They they showed you the first maybe five minutes of the of the movie, but the rest of Those it is the best so trailers. good. Yeah, and it's just so good. And I didn't realize what this was about until I went and saw it. And the trailer just got me in, which is what it should do. And now the rest of it is amazing. And I think that Unbreakable was one of those things. It's like, okay, I like Bruce Willis. Um, sure, just fine. And in Night Shyamalan, I, I liked Sixth Sense. So, okay. And that was what kind of got me. It's like, okay, it could be one of does, those things. Does Bruce Willis end up being dead? I just I'm ah, the, off the table. Right. Um, no, he does not. Well, maybe he does at the end. You should watch it and find out. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think he's actually signed on for uh, the, the new one, Glass. So I guess that spoils it. But um yeah, it's uh, I liked it. The reason I would say to someone to go watch it is because it is different. It is it is one of those things that you don't expect. It is grounded in what you might consider realism. Um, really hardcore the whole time. It's a hardcore. And I'll tell you what, I'm a big stickler for the hero's journey. Just the the thing that makes you feel. I'm getting a little chills just thinking about it right mm-hmm. now. That somebody mm-hmm. comes and they have a you wanna you wanna be good you want this to be good and you know game of thrones is one of those that's like oh my god you're going through the hardest things in the world and you can just feel that it's going to be good when it happens it's going to be really good and unbreakable has that there's a scene when they're when the big thing happens with him and he walks in and he sees his kid and he gives him a newspaper and then it's all of a sudden all the heartache and all the hardship you've had in this whole show comes together in a big smile and you're like wow that that made me just feel great. And it made yeah. me feel super heroic. And if you want to feel that, that's what that movie will do. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's the story of the reluctant hero, but it is grounded so much in reality. And I think it was ahead of its time in that respect. I mean, I think since we've moved forward with the superhero genre, that's what 
audiences have clamored for at least a little bit. At least that's what Nolan tapped into when he totally. made his Batman. And I mean, again, like, so you want to, some people said, oh, Nolan's take on Batman was so original. I would argue that he used the formula that put down, that Shyamalan put down in Unbreakable, where we're going to set this in the real world and try to make these real people with real struggles, make the pain real, make the gadgets real, make the costumes real. Um, within the boundaries of what we think of from day-to-day living. I think Unbreakable in that regard really was a pioneer. Uh, so I agree with you. I think it, it, it warrants a second look if you've not seen it today. And I think it ages spectacularly well. No, I totally agree. Hey, there's the other side of this coin, though. And it's weird that I'm saying this, but Marvel. So Marvel, I felt, with its first two big movies, being Iron Man and, and Captain America and the First Avenger, I think they started off that way. I think one of the reasons that I think Iron Man did so well is that it felt like real. Okay. Tony Stark was this real person and it went through and you, yeah, you saw Iron Man, the Mark one armor. I don't know a third through the movie, but you didn't see like really rocking on Iron Man until halfway through. And you slowly got introduced into this. What now is a very comic booky thing. Um, the cherry candy, apple red and the gold and, um, and now I always think if someone picked up a, a modern Marvel movie and, or they were taken back from the 1980s and teleported to watch a movie now, they'd say, oh, this is just all like super comic booky. Captain America's outfit is very vibrant and he's got the huge star now. It didn't start out that way. Um, no, not, not at all. all. Especially, especially since if we think about the real revolution started, I would say, in 2000 when X-Men hit the screen and they were afraid to do the yellow and blue sure, unitards. Um, and, and, you know, Spider-Man, I think tried to, the, when I'm talking about Spider-Man, I'm talking about Sam Raimi's version, which was yes. bright and vibrant, but that was several years after X-Men, um, which yes. tried to be dark and, and a little brooding and things like that. Um, but it's interesting, you know, to see how those things have evolved. It, it's fascinating to me. I like that. It was interesting. You said something there, Mike, where you said the first two big Marvel movies were Iron Man, Captain America. What about Iron Man two? Do we forget about that? Do we sort of discard it? Cause that was technically the second film it was. in the Marvel cinematic universe. It was. And, and I, it's fine. It's, it's a fine movie, but I think that when you are talking about the universe, I guess the, the, the different things, uh, I don't know, two kind of was. At that point, you're starting to get high fantasy. I think that when you he was flying high and it got really big, you started seeing Rhodey. And I don't know, Rhodey was still, War Machine was still kind of gray, so it's, it was still pretty low, pretty kind of grounded in that. Um, so yeah, several several of them were that way. But nowadays, and I think it started in Avengers when they start coming out with these suits that are clearly, you know, the Flash type suits. Um, Black Widow no longer has just a spy outfit. She's got to have like blue lines around her and, you know, <laughs> and, which is cool as a comic person. I love it. And I love that everybody slowly got introduced into this really cool comic booky look, but I don't think it started that way. As you're saying with like X-Men, it started actually with that very gritty realism and that's what happened. And it's cool. It's cool that we're there now. You know, we, we'll see that yellow and blue uh, Wolverine, but I don't know. I like Logan too much. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we're gonna see it with Wolverine. I wouldn't be surprised if Laura Kinney puts on the the blue and yellow at some point. Um, no. We got a little taste of it in X Men First Class when they showed some of the original costumes, but you know, and maybe we'll get a little bit of that in X Men Dark Phoenix, which is the next film to come out, which will be set in the nineties, we think. Yeah, um, you right. know, and and do the Phoenix Saga for like the fifth time on screen. 
Um, w, are you guys excited about that? You know, Dennis, I, I don't know what's your sort of, I don't know what your background is in terms of comic book lore and, uh, you know, history and favorite arcs and things like that. So like, where, are, where do you fall on this? Cause I know where Mike is on the scale. <laughs> it's not super dark and, and longtime listeners of our show will know that I'm not, uh, I, I was not really a comic book reader as a kid. I've picked up a couple graphic novels, a couple series over the years as an adult. And um, so most of my knowledge comes from films. Now, talking about sort of Hero's Journey, darker, um, kind of unconventional stories, I may regret bringing this up as an avowed non-comic reader and not remembering the film too well. What did you guys... How did you guys feel about Hancock? Ooh, good question. Fox, take that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I was a big fan of Hancock. I thought it should have spawned an entire series, and it's one I would have watched. I thought, again, we talk about originality. There was sort of an original character, more or less, on the screen that I thought was ahead of its time. I like the idea of the super reluctant you know, superhero who has obvious flaws. Usually the characters who have flaws... They're in their private lives. Um, they're not flaws that are worn on their sleeves. So, for example, Tony Stark in Iron Man 2 has the drinking problem, more or less, is the demon in the bottle story. Yeah. Um, you know, or Logan broods quietly on his own, or someone hurts in a way uh, that's not seen when they're on camera or being in the in the media spotlight. What I loved about Hancock is that he was openly a jackass and and had problems that he had no problem sharing with anyone who listened and those who didn't want to. So I was a fan of it. I thought Will Smith did a really good job with that role. Um, and I thought it was a little bit underrated. I really appreciated the mythology they were starting to throw down. I wish I had seen more of it. Again, I think it was a little bit ahead of its time. So I liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, I thought it was a clever script, clever characters, and well executed. What about you, Mike? What did you think? Uh, that, that sounds like – I mean Hancock seems like a movie that would be made for me. I mean, I, it's again, hero's journey. He comes from this horrible dark place, goes into this big thing, comes through, and is a hero in the end. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it and I did watch it once, but I do remember walking away thinking, eh, don't really like that. Um, and I don't know why I, I, I actually want to go watch it again and find out why I, I, I don't like that. Maybe it was because he never truly became a, a good guy. I guess maybe he's trying to portray a good guy, but he never completed his hero journey, which is fine. It just, it just did not strike me. You know, maybe it's one of those things that, that, that has to strike you in the right time. I mean, he gets he he gets pretty far on the journey. I think it was intended to become a franchise. It came out in two thousand and eight, I believe, oh, and it had so Charlize true. Theron. It had it had right. um, uh, gosh, uh, Jason Bateman. I mean, it had strong talent in it. it, and I think they were expecting it to launch several sequels. And it just never got there because I think a lot of people were just like you, Mike. I think they weren't ready for the idea of a cinematic universe, um, especially with a character no one ever heard of. And wasn't that likable for most of the film, especially when you have the incredibly usually likable Will Smith in the lead role? Right, um, yeah, that was the other thing. You know, and that's say. a problem. And I think Will Smith would have eventually become Hancock the Great, Hancock the Revered. But I think they probably – 
didn't go far enough on the hero's arc, which I think is a really interesting thematic element, Mike, that you brought up. Because I believe people like that journey. And you mentioned Game of Thrones earlier, which is the epitome of that for so many characters who grace our screens on HBO every Sunday night, occasionally every 17 years or whatever, when the uh, seasons come out. What about Superman? Okay, I, I'm I'm a champion of Superman. I, I, I have to say, I was exclaiming to vote with your money, but the many comic books I buy, I don't buy very many Superman comic books. Justice League and um, Batman and Superman is about the only thing with him. But he's a Boy Scout. He is the hero. He's the Captain America. He's the 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 ten on the scale. That if there's light and dark, you got to have somebody to say this is the ten and this is the one. Um, but he is constantly criticized for being, oh, to, you know, oh, two Boy Scout. You can't make a good movie. You can't make a good story. Can you make a good story with just a, a pure good guy? Is there any examples of that right now that was good? Well, I think Superman's problems are deeper than him being a pure good guy. The fact that he's nearly invincible makes it also difficult to tell a good story. <laughs> yeah, but he's not very but smart. You know, Say so you have there's more than that though I mean because it's all scales right like you give him a dark side um, uh, not a dark side but like the villain dark side you you give him because in the comics he can be beat he's got weaknesses beyond kryptonite which the movie makers tend to, to forget but I guess that's getting too far off I guess the the question was still like um, is being good true to your bones true blue Captain America not a popular thing. Thoughts? I was waiting for Dennis to chime in. I'm curious to hear his response on this. Oh, um, I mean, I think just like the invincibility, you have a problem of relatability. Mm, that like that's that's part of. I think I think that's part of the root of what makes the hero's journey enjoyable is because it's relatable. It's part of why. Um, Spider-Man is such a popular character because mm. at the at the root of it, he's just a kid dealing with I, yeah, you know yeah. b- bullies in class and a girl who he doesn't think notices him or whatever kind of relatively trivial things like you know even even Batman who I mean sure he's a billionaire and a ninja but he's still <laughs> yeah. at, at the at the heart of it he's just a man i don't and know they i think that more of a man that's one of the problems mm. yeah so, i can see that so beyond spider-man dennis who else do you think is a relatable superhero in, in modern cinema i guess so when you look at sort of all these different people because like you said we have iron man who's a billionaire we have captain america who is pumped up on steroids he's which is funny he's like basically the biggest drug user in the marvel cinematic universe uh we tend to forget that so it was okay then man apparently apparently. so in your mind dennis who do you think is the most relatable superhero i mean i guess it depends on it depends on who you are and and what story um I mean, for all the things that I disliked about Batman vs. Superman, like, I can, to a certain degree, relate to the old, tired Batman. Right? right. I think if you're yeah. if you're a little bit younger, 
maybe Spider-Man is more relatable. I mean, obviously they're superheroes, so there's nothing, you know, fully relatable about them because they <laughs> they either have powers or they have something else to make them super. You know what? As I'm sitting here thinking, mulling over that question I had about can a good person be successful, I kind of wanted to, like, slap myself in the face as I just realized that's my argument for two of the recent most popular movies out right now is that they were good through and through, and that's Spider-Man Homecoming and Wonder Woman. I think those two characters from start to finish are good and heroes and they and yeah there's difficult times and there's things and they may even have problems but they don't necessarily have a hero's journey they're just like relatable in some sense and I agree. can still be good and no matter what's it called unflinchingly good and that's cool that <laughs> lawful cool. good <laughs> yeah and that's okay and and it, i think that had to do with the the partially the writing the acting but the directing as well i mean patty jenkins just continued to understand wonder woman and never shied away from it um thank god she's finally back officially i think for wonder woman 2 that she is uh, which is ridiculous that she wasn't signed like the minute after she finished the other one but the uh strips money but it, those were just two movies that were they were good people and when i watched them i walked out and like yeah i like that because spider-man was awesome he that that kid was unsure he was fun and he was a hero and Wonder Woman was never took a moment to get down into the real world type stuff and how deep and dark World War One is, which it was, but she was unflinchingly a hero. And I watched it and loved it. No, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Mike. I think you, you hit on something very, very consistently that I think Dennis also started with. It's relatability is what makes us root for the hero. And I think having fallibility is what makes them relatable. Everyone likes Indiana Jones because he gets hurt. He gets his butt whipped um, throughout every movie he's in, and that makes him mortal. It goes back to your point, Mike, where Batman should be more of a man. And I think both Spider-Man and Wonder Woman showed that they were flawed in their own ways, whether it was psychologically or physically, um, or even emotionally in a good way, where I, I mean, I love the fact it wasn't a flaw, but like one of my favorite sequences of Wonder Woman was when she like gets enamored with ice cream or sees a baby and thinks right. it's the most adorable thing in the world and gets distracted by it. Those aren't flaws, but they make them more mortal. And I think that's what we look for in our, in our heroes, uh, to Dennis's point as well. You know, Spider-Man, I think one of my favorite sequences is where he's running, um, I guess he's outside of town and he tries to like whip into the air and shoot his web and he's in a forest and there's oh, no buildings and he has to keep running it's, and he's it's like, not like the video game <laughs> right yeah, yeah. <laughs> right exactly and, and you know it's not all designed for the hero to always win they have to be in situations where they can't use their power so they can't use what they've relied upon the entire time and a lot of the other superhero films do that they put the, our heroes in situations where they are set up to win they're set up to succeed or they're set up to be larger than life all the time we need those moments where they can reflect or do something um they're not used to doing or have to get their way out of a situation that's not easy despite being powerful i think that we can all identify with where we have our own strengths but we're always going to be in situations where we can't rely upon those strengths because of other variables so that brings us full circle. What about the Joker? There's nothing relatable there. How do you put a movie unless you put 
Harley in it. That how do you make a movie? There is no heroic stuff there. Unless, I guess you could say his past maybe had some tragedy thing, but that nobody wants to know the Joker's past, or you shouldn't. Well, this question, this question was asked, and I, I don't think I ever really answered it. I like the idea of whether it's multiple universe Joker or just, um, I don't remember the term you used, the sort of Dread Pirate Roberts uh, passing a mantle kind of of the Joker, because something that hadn't occurred to me until I heard it on um, the episode of Geek Scholars when you guys were talking about this is this idea that um, the Joker is essentially the product of one bad day. Yeah, okay. Which is really, it's a parallel to Batman's story. So that's, you know, where you you, sort of get that. But you have to go back, you have to go back to the Joker's past. I mean, that, that may be breaking some people's like untouchable thing don't don't tell me i mean heath ledger's uh whole shtick there was like let me tell you about how i got these scars and every single time was you knew it wasn't the truth it's a it's a different story right he had no name even his his clothes were custom he had no priors he had nothing he was just a force that appeared which i think made him scarier personally yeah it totally does and the the show which i don't watch admittingly gotham but i've read a lot about it has done that flirting with, you know, is this the Joker past and stuff? And all it's done is gotten ire from fans, oddly enough. So I guess that comes back to where, you know, I'm not sure how they could do could do the Joker movie and unless it's just, I mean, they could do it. You could do anything well, but, um, and have it in a superhero world, unless you want to like really even more darken up the DC. But man, if they could, everybody's going to ask for it, if they could put Harley in there, that's fine. I'm okay with that because sh- that has a, that character has a story, and that could be one of the most amazing, if done well, stories that has the Joker in it. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's another conversation here about um, whether or not you can do a, an entire movie just about villains. Uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah, but yeah, they were, but they were really <laughs> yeah, anti-heroes. <laughs> Really more anti-heroes. Yeah, I guess. Right? Yeah, because they are. They have good things they do, I guess. Right? Well, They're let me ask you a question. Is Deadpool and... a hero? Is Deadpool, you know, is Deadpool a villain? Is he an anti-hero? What is he? How do you classify that particular character? I, I think he's... I can't know. I mean, I don't want to call him a hero. Uh, there's, I'm going to reference a... Uh, story arc in the comic books where Deadpool decides he wants to be a hero and he wants to join the X-Men. Actually, what it was, that he wants to join the X-Men. And it was the, one of the coolest like X-Men stories I've read in many, many years. I wish I could remember the numbers of it. But he just wants to join the X-Men and it goes for several, several times and he everybody knows who Deadpool is and that's how he acts and nobody likes him and it's it's he's just not fitting in in this heroic type thing, no matter what he does. And he goes overboard. And in the end, you realize that all the crazy ass stuff that he's done is actually all kind of a big plan. And he is really super heroic um, in his own weird way that doesn't seem like he's doing the right thing. But, you know, he is doing it with a kind of a, a good heart. So is he a good guy? Well, in that story, if I'd follow to that as canon, yeah, he is. He's a good guy that feels that he should be doing the the right thing ultimately and gets led astray. From the movies or the movie, 
I don't know. I, I don't think he's a hero. I, and that's cool. I think he could be the example of, all right, he's not the hero. I don't, does he do anything heroic in there besides that's not self-serving? I mean, I really don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. And I, it's, I like that question you just said. Does he do anything that's not self-serving? And my answer would be no, honestly. He doesn't care about you know civilians getting hurt necessarily. Not that he's ever put in that position. But all he wants to do is fix his face and save his woman. Um, so that's an interesting point, Mike. I like the way you frame that question. I think it's, it's food for thought. Is a hero only somebody who serves the needs of others beyond their own personal gain? Yeah, like like the arrow. You have failed this city. He's just doing it to help the city. Failed this city. All right, yeah. Him and him and uh, Batman, or was it uh, Christopher Nolan Batman? What's that guy's name? Uh, has that same voice. Brr, 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 brr. Christian Bale. Christian yeah. Bale, yeah. I've never been a fan of that. Well, goodness gracious. Well, do you think, um, would you say Sherlock Holmes is a, is a hero? Yeah, I would say he serves – well, that's a – oh, man, I like that question a lot, Des, because instantly I had more, all these answers. A more a more poignant question, is Dr. House a hero? Well, okay, I'll tell you my instant thoughts because I, I love that question, Dennis. I think it's a really interesting one because I will say I've not seen enough of Dr. House to probably speak to that, but I have read Sherlock Holmes. I've seen all the iterations both cinematically and uh, the newest Benedict Cumberbatch uh, version as well. I would say that Sherlock is a hero, but accidentally. And by that, I mean, it's he thinks he's being self-serving, but he's accidentally serving the needs of others. He doesn't do it, I think, to help other people, but he does. And that is the byproduct of his intelligence and his activity. But his intention is to basically prove to himself that he is smarter then pick the person, whether it's Moriarty, whether it's Mycroft or someone else. So yes, but again, I think he fumbles into that role, not necessarily a person who goes out of their way to become a hero. So that raises an interesting question as well. Are you a hero if you don't intend to be? I, I, I want to hear, I definitely need to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, if, are you a hero if you don't intend to be? Um, no. I don't think that you are. I think just because you fall into it now, now there's there's a lot of those times when you see movies or TV shows where that happens at the end. Maybe even I think Hancock was something like that. Um, is that okay? By happenstance, you're a hero. At the end, you feel like, hey, this is cool. Okay, maybe being a hero is all right. Then okay, sure. Then they're a hero. They, they accepted the fact that they are, and they continue to do good and. That's they've made that, you know, may have been an accident how they got to be a hero, but they're going to continue to be one. OK, yeah, they're a hero. But if they're like it's an accident and then they're like, Psh, I'm going to throw this back out and push a kid in the street. OK, no, they're not a hero. Um, I think they have to have the journey and the turnaround. That's what makes them the hero, not just because they were accidentally one. Hey, so I'm going to ask a question here. Fox, have you ever. Um, read the infinity gauntlet series back from the 80s 90s or the 90s indeed i have dennis do you know what i'm talking about when i say the infinity gauntlet <laughs> nah. um is that is that connected to the infinity stones yes yes, yes. he's on the right path 
Okay, so um, then then all I know is something about Guardians of the Galaxy one and Vision. Okay, you yep, got it. Yeah, right, right. he's not wrong. He's okay. Not wrong. That, so, so you, that's it. That's the extent of my. So you got the movie tie in here, and here, here's where here's something I wanted to bring up. It's just not really a question thing, but I thought was really interesting that I heard someone mention today or yesterday. Uh, so the new Thor Ragnarok's coming out, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, and Hela is the main bad guy in that one. Uh, and Kate Blanchett, yeah, yeah, and it she looks great. I mean, it, the the character looks amazing. The oh, she looks fantastic. Looks great. I, they, and I've heard nothing but like her acting in that is going to be is great, spot on. They always say that, but you know, I believe that she will. No, I think she's she, first female Marvel villain. Oh, and yeah, that's crazy that that's the the case. But yeah, totally, this is awesome. Uh, so she plays the the embodiment of death, uh, the guardian of hell, the Asgardian goddess of death. So I found it really interesting that um, in the Infinity Gauntlet series, the comic book way back in the 90s, uh, mm-hmm. Thanos is in love with death and everything he does is for death. It's this very, very central part of his character, his drive, his motivation, and all the things that he's doing throughout the whole comic book is he's trying to prove that he can, he, that he loves death. Uh, there is no right. death in the Marvel Universe, except now Hela is literally death. I heard, heard somebody say that, because people won't confirm nor deny that Kate Blanchett is in the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the first Infinity War movie. I think that would be awesome. Is that the, is that the goddess H-E-L? Yes. In Norse mythology? Yes, yes okay. that's absolutely right. Yes. I wasn't sure based on how you were pronouncing it, Mike. Yeah, sorry. It's hell, right? Is it Hela? It is hell. Is it hell? Okay. She goes by both. Okay. Yeah, so I just thought that was really kind of an interesting thing is that they take the, the, the Asgardian, the Norse god of death, and ties yeah. perfectly in. Now, Mike, can I remind you of something very intriguing about all of this? So yeah. I want to I want to pull you back to Avengers, the first one. Yeah. And the very last sequence of that film is where we see Thanos for the first time. It wasn't Josh Brolin, but it was the first, you know, version of Thanos we saw. Right. And it's the uh it's um the Chitari basically person of the servant who talks to Thanos and he says that Earth is protected. To court it, to try to conquer it is to – I'm sorry, I'm going to do it again. He says to conquer it is to court death. Right. That's the line. Yep. And he and Thanos smiles, which is a great way to at least plant the seed that your hypothesis or your theory is correct because they planted it all the way back in Avengers 1. So I think it's very possible we get a really – closer to literal translation of the comic book than people may be expecting. Yeah. I, I, that's one of the things that people and myself was like, okay, it's going to be great to see the, the infinity gauntlet. They're just, it's just, they're not going to follow the story. It's just kind of the, the concept of it, which is okay. Um, Cause there's just way too many things. Adam Warlock being one of them, uh, silver surfer being another key th- components of the thing, the, eternity that they're just not going to get but well adam warlock adam warlock may be part of it so dennis you just saw guardians right two yeah you stay all the way through the end i i had to google that reference but (laughs) i saw warlock at the end yeah so he's out there now possibly 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, James Gunn is the director of Guardians. Is so like, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that that guy. He he loves the Guardians, and I'm glad he's the shepherd of them. But he's he's so like anti tying it into the 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 universe. So I'm not sure if if he's going to hold on to that himself or like you know, help tie it in. It'd be cool. It'd be cool. But, but to go back to what you had said, yeah, I mean, they did tie the death thing in there and maybe, you know, Feige, Kevin Feige of Marvel is, is he knows his stuff. He knows his, his things. This is something that clearly the people up there at top love the infinity on. And how can you not do that without death? And Oh my God, to have Kate Blanchett be in that movie as a major character that could make as death. Work. That would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, you could have her, torture nebula which is a huge thing in that they're leading up to there uh yeah that could totally you, I, you i mean you already have drax who's a major player in that story you have you have all the pieces on the board um as dennis said i mean i think you know adam warlock is someone who's not quite introduced quite yet you know in terms of the fact that people don't know who he is and the major role that he would play but i gotta say you're about 95 percent of the way there if you pull the fringe elements in yeah and uh, I, that's my prediction there's my prediction is that the tag at least one of the tag for thor ragnarok is hella meeting thanos or talking to thanos oh, i love that it's yeah. a great prediction and, and you're just going to be like oh that totally makes sense and then they can start off in uh, infinity war with like there's his motivation he's just because having marvel's one of the arguably things that they have problems with is they don't have good villains uh, beyond loki um, so, well, and I would argue uh, argue Kingpin. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and and Vulture, Vul- Kingpin and Vulture, both which is ironically, you know, two Spider-Man villains. But yeah, I agree with you 100. percent But you know, they're kind of you know Sony versus or enough. The best part of uh, of Daredevil. Yes, without also, I'm question. Pretty sure- I'm pretty sure the Guardians series has had several female villains. Just ah, uh, yeah, the the main one in Guardians two had a had a villain. Nebula is kind of a villain. I mean, but not the main villain. Ego is clearly the main villain. True, 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 true. So, Dennis, as someone who's not as well versed in comic books as as Mike is, and 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 I will tell you, I, I have to give credit here because. I when I first went to Gen Con, my very first Gen Con, Mike sat me down and explained to me the history of Guardians of the Galaxy and got me pumped for the first movie, which was coming out that year. And that was one of the best lessons I ever learned. But that aside, you know, as someone who's not as steeped in comic book lore from reading the actual panels, you know, are you where are you on this ride? Are you excited for Infinity Gauntlet? Is it just the next thing? big spectacle or are you legitimately like jazzed to figure out how all these things are going to come together just from your perspective i'd be curious to know i mean even though i don't have the background in it i i love the idea one of my um favorite i read a lot of fantasy series one of my favorite authors is brandon sanderson um and he's an author who puts a lot a lot of thought into world building um, and he has this whole interconnected universe where there's there's a there's a magic system over everything, and it just it manifests in incredibly different ways on on each of the different planets in his uh, what he calls the Cosmere. Um, and so that idea of bringing together 
the characters from from different stories just like um they brought paul rudd in uh ant-man in um in civil war that was great um and so i like that that whole idea and i also maybe we'll do this as a as an entire topic um some other time but i like the idea of both kinds of comic story comic books movie where you have a serious movie with with some humor or a funny movie that has some serious moments um guardians maybe push the envelope a little a little bit in the sequel um a little bit into the into the almost campy territory um, way. but at the same time you can also do a movie like deadpool which is almost entirely comedy I think there's definitely room in the market for for both, if not all three. Are you a are you a midnight showing Infinity War guy, or are you a you know it's fine in a week or two? That's a great question. I don't I don't, I don't know that I've seen anything midnight showing. Maybe when I was a teenager. Well, so, you come here. Yeah, we're be... gonna go watch it. We're gonna get everybody to see it. <laughs> that's, that's what's gonna happen. Just so you know. Okay. I mean, it's. I mean, it's all about it's. It's generally all about the social thing. I did go and see Dark Tower by myself because I know that there's nobody living in my immediate vicinity who has any interest in seeing that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's many people in uh, the United States that have uh, interest in seeing that. But right. So, Dennis, did you see Dark Tower because you're a huge Stephen King fan of the series, or just because it intrigued you from the idea of world building? A little bit of both. Um, as I said, I'm a, I, I read a lot of fantasy series, and I've picked up a handful of Stephen King uh, over the years. Um, generally, I've been disappointed by his work that I've read and then seen in film form. Um, I think thrillers in particular are something where, because it takes so much longer to read a book than to watch a movie... right. Like you watch a scary movie and you're, you know, you're looking over your shoulder for the rest of the night. <laughs> you read a scary Stephen King sized novel, and you're probably doing that every night for at least a couple. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, was that and way. so when you when you when you get to the end of The Shining and the ending is not the same, it just is is kind of hollow. Um, interesting. And that was a that was a little bit of my impression of of Dark Tower. I thought that, you know, at the risk of sounding like a book snob, I think it might have been more enjoyable oh, if I hadn't read like the books. Book snob. Right, it's right. not a bad thing um, to be. Just own up to I'm it, our man. Friend, just take it. Our our other friend Brian over here. Right, you're right. Um, but I mean, you know, it's it's sort of the opposite of the Hobbit. Like, how do you fit? something like 12 books into a movie that was <laughs> in, only 90 in minutes 80 long. minutes yeah best yeah so so dennis did you read it i did not are you gonna go see the movie probably not i might rent it at some point i think that's where i'm at i'm at a renting for it but i don't know i mean hearing you get excited about it and i just had a friend watch it yesterday and got excited about it Ugh, might have to actually pay money 
So let me ask Dennis another question for you. Have you are you familiar with the concept of the uh, the new project called Castle Rock, which is going to be a cinematic television universe of all the Stephen King properties? What? Hmm. I I had not. Yeah, but I've only recently. Um, this might be again another topic. I'll just make sure you write these down. This idea of universes, and it ties back a little bit to the sequels versus originality. Uh, building a universe is kind of a hybrid between the two because you can still do origin stories for the characters, but you don't have to set up the whole world, which I think can be really nice. You can do, you know, something that's not 100% normal uh, reality in that sense but i did not realize um until just a couple days ago that the reboot of the mummy was i want to say universal's attempt to set up a universe yeah, absolutely the dark universe yes dark universe i i did not see that movie i saw the originals years ago but uh heard nothing but bad things about the remake and so yeah, i thought that was fine <laughs> i thought it was fine it was fine yeah. yeah it was fine it was fine okay so just to fin- Yo, go ahead mike Oh, no, I was just going to go ahead. I was going to round it out here in a minute. No, I just wanted because you guys seem surprised by the idea of Castle Rock. So Castle Rock is a Hulu series, which is going to take no, characters. Uh, screw that, Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid commercial. Uh, go ahead. Uh, anyway, um, the the two hosts of the show will not be endorsing this right. product. We're out of here. Um, no, but, but, yeah, it's a Stephen King universe uh, series you know, that's going to basically take bits and elements of all these different books um, because they all basically take place in Derry, Maine um, and put them together as one big series. So, yeah, I mean, just just to say that that's coming. A friend of the show, Mark Bernardin, is is a writer on it. Um, Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But that that is something that is happening. Can you imagine that would be the worst world to live in ever? Like there's the Pennywise meets the pet cemetery. He walks into the pet cemetery and there's the shining house. And, oh, jeez! I, I should say that it's intri- intriguingly Bill Skarsgård, who is uh, Pennywise the clown, has signed on to be in the show. They're not saying who he is, um, but that's kind of intriguing. I will say also Sissy Spacek, who is in the original Carrie, is also listed among the cast members. Hmm. So this may be. I don't know if you're if you're a Stephen King fan, they may be doing something pretty cool here. Is uh, this Skarsgård? Is he related to the other Skarsgårds? He is. He's one of the uh, sons of um, the guy everyone knows from Good Will Hunting and uh, Thor. Right. Uh, yeah, that it's that guy. Yeah, that family. He's that guy's son. How does that people people not know that that's like a friggin' huge family of everybody's everywhere now? Like, oh, it's the the Nordics. They're crazy. They're beautiful. Yeah, and that family is just it now. Yeah, uh, well said. <laughs> so let's let's uh, let's all bring this together at the end and see what we got. We've got some upcoming exciting uh, superhero movies, and I've said for the last decade, if not longer, that I am fortunate to be alive at a time where all of my fantasy hobbies yeah. have come to reality in the cinema which is just marrying everything that I love. Last bit is please make a and d movie that's good. But I digress. Uh, so there's these... Maybe coming. All right, we'll see. Uh, but there's a great one, so they're coming out. 
So closing this out, we'll go with Dennis and then we'll end it with our guest Fox. What is an upcoming superhero genre movie that you're most looking forward to and why? We've got things like Thor Ragnarok, Justice League, Avengers, Deadpool, The Incredibles, uh, Luke Cage, even X-Men. So what's one, one pick one movie that you think I kind of want to go watch that one and why that one? Dennis? Hmm. Strictly movies. Strictly movies. I mean, I'll probably go see whatever the new Justice League um, offering is. I I was I've, I've been quite hard on Batman vs Superman. I I did not think it was very good, um, but I liked Wonder Woman very much, and so I'm curious to see what they do with that universe. Fox, what about you, buddy? Sure. So I'm going to have to go with Thor Ragnarok. I think people have no idea how much fun this film is going to be. I, Thor, the Thor movies have been a little bit of the black sheep of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to date. Uh, they've been good, but not great. No one is. No one names any of the Thor movies as their favorite right. Marvel film thus far. But I think because we have Taiki Watiti, who is going to be the director of this, who is known for his crazy humor... Um, and character development, I think you're going to get something really special with Thor Ragnarok. So that's the one I'm most looking forward to. Uh, that's going to be such a fun ride. And I, I, I say Thor is probably my favorite comic book character of all time growing up, thinking he's you know the super Viking, love that guy. So You I look mean, a lot like him. Uh, I mean, every time I thought, I mean, with the, with the flowing hair and the yeah, biceps right, and the hammer. Right, right. <laughs> I look just like Hemsworth, exactly. Yeah. Like, Absolutely, yeah. You, I've seen you okay. get stopped in the street, and right. people are like At the Chris. Yeah. Hey, I picked up the only a couple times. It just happens. Uh, <laughs> but my, I think mine is that there's one. There's so many good ones. There, I'm, you know, just so many good ones that I'm going to speak so excited for. And it's hard for me to not say the Infinity War, but I think the one that is going to really throw people out and is going to be like, you need to go watch this one is the Black Panther. I think the Black Panther just looks great pick. amazing. It's going to be like, okay, here's another one of those things. We talked back at Unbreakable. It's like, okay, it's it's this, but then you're going to watch it and you're going to be like, oh no, it's way more than that. And it's amazing. And if they even start tying it into the rest of the, which they're going to do, I'm sure they're Marvel, into the rest of the Marvel universe, you're going to be like, this is the guy I want to watch more of. I want to watch two, three, four, put him in everything because he was amazing in Civil War and he's going to be even better in his own movie. Well, Fox, thanks for coming and visiting us. We hope to have you back sometime. Gosh, it was an honor, gentlemen. I had a blast. I, this is an absolute honor to be a part of this. Uh, I think this is going to be a fantastic, fantastic podcast. Well, you're always welcome back. And to our listeners, as always, we're gonna, we'll are gonna we be dividing up this uh, segment into topics. And you can always, if a topic doesn't interest you, you can always skip to the, the show notes at the bottom where things are at. Uh, although this one was kind of a universally topic with our guest here having superhero movies yeah until uh, next time i'm michael daniels and i'm dennis rogers for the front porch good night everybody